It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as the career of Richard Linklater, DC Comics adaptations, and our thoughts on David Fincher. indie movie that everybody has to see it's kind of like what people said about roma like that one was very hyped up in the media and i knew quote unquote regular people who watched it and were just like oh my god i couldn't get past the first 15 minutes nobody was talking i'm so pissed they released it on netflix because i constantly forget that it exists but i love alfonso Cuarón, so i'm like i gotta see this fucking movie that guy's a brilliant director oh you bastard i watched um, I think I watched it on Netflix initially, and then I saw it at the movies, and I loved both experiences in their own way. It's the same with that Coen Brothers movie they released on Netflix. It's just Netflix, they like promote something for like three weeks and they just bury it and I never see it anymore and yeah, I forget about I mean, it. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. But what's funny about that one, uh, Roma, is, so you know, the Criterion version came out about a year later after it debuted on Netflix. And I own it. Oh, I own it, what? even though it's on oh, Netflix. Man. But and people go, why? Why would you buy a Blu-ray for a movie that's on Netflix? Anyway, um, did not realize that hmm. that it was on Criterion. Yeah, I completely missed that too. Oh yeah, oh. and they did it with they did it with at least two other notable Netflix originals. Um, they did the same thing with uh, what is it called? Like a, a Marriage Story or whatever. Oh, I, I I don't know. I don't know anything about this. Hmm. I mean, you've heard, have you heard of the movie? Um, it got a lot of hype. It came out not too long, probably not too long after Roma. Uh, and it stars um, Black Widow and uh, Darth Ren. Darth Ren? No, I, I don't remember hearing about this. But Adam Driver and uh, Scarlett Johansson. And it seems to me to be like a remake of a Bourbon movie. Uh, I will confirm that when I get through a whole movie, uh, Marriage Story. <laughs> I think it's called a Marriage Story. But anyway, that got a lot of critical acclaim. I think it was nominated for Best Picture or something in the Oscars. It was a Netflix streaming movie. And then it came out on Criterion a year later. And of course, The Irishman uh, came out like a year later on Criterion as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I missed that too. What the fuck? But what's interesting or weird about like Roma and probably all three of these movies is that, you know, Criterion is known for its picture quality, etc. restoration. But these are three movies... That actually look better on Netflix and 4K than they do on Criterion. So this is the weird situation where you have three movies that actually look inferior on the Criterion versions. Fascinating. <laughs> Speaking of just just streaming visual quality, um, recently I decided because I wanted to finish off my Gore Verbinski director catalog. So it's another director that I'm a big fan of. 
And so I watched uh, the last one that I hadn't seen of his, The Lone Ranger. Oh, on yeah. Disney Plus. It looked just amazing in 4K on Disney Plus. I was like, holy crap, this movie's gorgeous. I've never seen it, but I would just imagine, yes, that's. I'm sure that's how it is. It, it was kind of a fun spiritual sequel to his Pirates movies. It wasn't great, but it's not one of his best. But it looks. Stunning. I wanted to see it. Uh, I got a little bit turned off by the negative buzz, but but the original, let's say three, let's say the original three pirates movies, when they first came out. I mean, yeah, I saw the first one, and like everybody did at the time, and it was fine. It was cool. I wasn't in love with it. It it it, it felt like the way you appreciate like a Michael Bay movie, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Entertaining. Uh, and then I but I never really took them seriously. But then when they came out on Blu-ray, all three of the the first three, I revisited them and I thought, man, actually these movies are a lot better than I gave them credit for. And I mean mainly from like a production point of view. Um they're actually quite, quite, quite good. Um and so based upon that, I really kinda wanted to see Lone Ranger as well. Um, and also, because as much as I had a later reappreciation for the original three Pirates movies, oh, the fourth just felt so dreadful for me. I saw the movies. Ooh, oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. And I thought, oh, no. This is... <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, yeah. No, and I wish I had them on the top of my brain, but um, there's a lot of... Well, not a lot, but there's just a significant amount of movies that are just very well made and they put so much into it, but they just miss the mark as, on a, as a whole. I feel like a lot of Wachowski uh, movies fall into that. Oof, yeah. Um, in a weird way, in a different way, M. Night Shyamalan sometimes. Uh, he's so weird. He's so hot and cold. He's the poster child of that. <laughs> But his movies aren't uh, necessarily visually stunning, although they are sometimes. Sometimes, absolutely. But and then there's many other filmmakers that fall into these categories, and I don't know. Um, and Ebert described those side moments as like the little desserts that you get in a regular movie, and this is just taking all desserts and just making a dessert platter. Um, and he said, like in this one movie, you have enough of those little desserts to populate like five years worth of movie making uh you can just like all the little bits but they're all smashed into one movie yeah and that again just sounds like it describes clerks i mean well hey clerks is a good movie by the way (laughs) you say it as uh, if that's a bad thing to say i i do now unfortunately i i really don't enjoy clerks anymore it it breaks my heart i haven't seen it recently but that movie See, I didn't again. I, I didn't. I didn't look at this movie as a revelation when I first saw it. But Clerks, that that was you know that obviously came in my search post Pulp Fiction, and Clerks was deeply on my list of like, oh, I found another gem. I found another gem, and, and I watched too. it so many times on VHS in the late '90s. But I've nary revisited it since post 2000. So, I but I think I'd still. I think I wouldn't like it as much as I did. That's impossible, but I think I'd still like it quite a lot. And uh, I'm not a massive Kevin Smith fan by any means, uh, but that's still gotta be easily my favorite of of his movies that I've seen. 
while chasing Amy always takes the cake for me. I haven't gone back to that one. I'm scared to, because every Kevin Smith movie that I've revisited has not held up, and I really don't want chasing Amy to not hold up. Well, I've seen the first 40 minutes of chasing Amy for my very first time, like in the last three months. Oh wow! And it's fine. Seems like it has potential. You know, I haven't finished it yet. Um, but it, it this is gonna sound weird. It doesn't seem as polished to me as Clerks. Uh, and I don't just mean from a film making filmmaking point of view. I mean just as a movie experience. It doesn't seem as polished overall to me. And I got the, where I left off from that movie was when Ben Affleck is just starting to get to know her really for the first time mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, during the daytime when they're hanging out and it struck me that a lot of the dialogue in that scene would not go over very well in our woke times of present day oh yeah i mean there's no pc element people would go out of their minds if they were seeing that scene for the first time circa now yeah i mean jay muse i mean his most of his lines are not pc so in any of those but, movies well, it, well, what's funny though is that at the time when the movie came out, it was probably more on the progressive edge at the time, but that is not the way it would be taken now. Yeah, I probably saw that uh, when I was like maybe like 13, and I was like, whoa, this movie's like so mature, it's tackling these issues in like a really adult kind of considered way, but I'm really worried that if I go back, it's going to seem super antiquated and kind of childish. It seems like a cartoon now. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. It seems like Whedon-esque, oh. but if Whedon was still going through adolescence. <laughs> and that's how I feel every time I go back to a Kevin Smith movie, where it's like, like, uh, he, he, he thinks he's more clever than he is, and he feels like he's like a teenager trying to act like he's older, and it's it makes me feel embarrassed that I ever love these movies. So, <laughs> Well, I think Clerks is probably still pretty darn good, even if I don't hold it on the same pedestal that I once did. Yeah, maybe we'll have to cover that at some point, because, uh, oh no, the pap smear scene just happened. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking of uh, Gummo. Have you ever seen that? No, but I definitely, I'm definitely aware of it and heard of it. and Yeah, and I will watch it one day. Yeah, Harmony Corinne is another one of these 90s filmmakers where I don't necessarily know where I fall on him. There's so many 90s movies that I loved when I was a teenager that I Did look back see on. Kids? And like, I never saw Kids, no. That's another one that is like somehow shares DNA with the Tarantino-verse of the 90s and the slackers of the world. Even though it's neither of those movies, but yet you feel there is a DNA connection. Um, and that's, that's another... If Slacker kicked off the 90s, uh, Kids was like the independent movie that was closing out the 90s. Mm. I don't know if it's the same as what we're talking about because I haven't seen it. but an, And it's and it was done by a, a director when he was already established. But I've heard weird things about like the movie Nashville. No, wait, no, Nebraska, Nebraska. Have you heard of that one? Uh, Nebraska. Is that, is that the one with Bruce Dern? Like from a few years ago? Maybe like six years ago or something no i want to say it's about approximately 2010 2000 something um but like i said the director was already established but 
I've always wanted I've always wanted to check it out because just from what I had read about the movie, it, it just reminds me of things you'd hear about Slacker or Gummo or oh it's 2013. Um, oh Nick, there's an aged Nick Nolte in it. Nick Nolte's in it, huh? Is that Alexander Payne? Was that oh wait, the... no, I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry, Bruce Dern. Is that Bruce Dern? I thought it was Nick Nolte. It's Bruce Dern. You're right about the Bruce Dern part. But it's by Alexander Payne, who I only woke up to uh, like five, three, four years ago. So, uh, I mean, I knew who he was, but I never cared for who he was in his movies until about three or four years ago. Yeah, I've, I've only seen Downsizing by Alexander Payne. I, I don't think I know any other, any other of his films, but... Oh, well, that's weirdly unfortunate, because that's something I was going to bring up someday, some, at some point. Um... I don't even know if there's even a show still happening, but what's your hot take on Downsizing? Uh, I like Downsizing. I thought it was a quality picture. Good job by uh, Matt Damon, who I frequently don't like, uh, but I, I feel like he's just in a lot of projects that he doesn't care about, and so he gives kind of weak performances, but I thought he was interested in that movie, so I thought he... Um, I'm sure you know that movie was, was panned by critics and audiences. No, I didn't. Hmm. I saw it way after it came out, so... Oh well, it it was it it was like as soon as it came out, it was panned by critics and audiences. Uh, critics were like, "eh, not his best work, trying too hard, whatever." Um, oh, I like or that. like hmm. redoing themes he's done before in previous movies, uh, and then audiences their reactions were kind of like, because the trailers really sold it as as one thing, and then people went in for that and were like, "what?" They felt like it was like a little bit of a bait and switch. Um, now me, um, I'm also not a fan of uh, Matt Damon to the point that he repels me from watching some movies just because I know he's in it. Um, mm-hmm. And he even ruined some movies for me unintentionally, uh, like The Martian. Um, I fucking hate that oh. movie. Uh, Sean thinks it's like a great sci-fi movie, and I fucking hate them anyway um I'm not i think ridley scott's a bit of a hack but well he's like both he's like a genius and a hack at the same time but i think i think what's different about him compared to some of the autorish more autorish directors i think it depends who he hooks up with because mm-hmm. he's more of a, a director of filmmakers than an autorish filmmaker himself is what i think so i think when he assembles the right crew then he comes out with his masterpieces. And then when he gets the wrong mix, it, it, it's something different. Anyway, but I'm not here to talk about The Martian. Um, <laughs> um, so because Matt Damon was in it, I, I was not rushing to go see Downsizing. But the trailers did capture my attention because if if you don't know, I, I freaking love anything that has to do with miniaturization or gigantism. Um, <laughs> I Just anything with that, I'm drawn to naturally. So that's why I watched Hereditary, by the way. But anyway, um, oh, interesting. Because yeah. otherwise, there's no fucking way I would have watched that movie, just because it, it just did not look like my kind of movie. Anyway, um, so I put off downsizing for a long time. Um, it was probably already been out for a um, year and a half or two, and I watched it, and it was so much more than I thought it was gonna be. I thought the whole allegory and everything that he was trying to say with this fictional situation, I just thought he fucking hit the nail on the head 
I think it is a, a quietly like an understated masterpiece. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That movie completely blew me away. After I watched it the first time, I watched it like I watched it, like eight times in a row, not on the same day, obviously, but like over the oh, course wow. of like twelve days, I watched that movie like eight times in a row. And I very rarely do that in modern times. <laughs> no, I love that. I mean, like, even, like, Tenet. I fucking love Tenet, but I didn't watch it eight times in a row. Um, <laughs> well, now, Avatar, I watched multiple times when it, at the time when it came out. But anyway, downsizing completely fucking blew me away. The Vietnamese woman character fucking blew me away. Oh, yeah, that's a great, that's a great part of that movie. Absolutely. There's little details, no pun intended, in the movie that are subtle but they're so fucking spot on um that you you wouldn't realize um i'm not gonna explain it all right now because i hope to podcast properly on this one day but yeah no we should cover that absolutely i was completely blown away like it was it was on the level for me of like taking in like a undiscovered kubrick movie or no i'm not saying (laughs) it was a kubrick movie but i'm saying like it was a fucking gem of a movie. Yeah, I, I remember because my girlfriend just had it on a list. She was just like, "Oh, this is a movie I saw a trailer for, and I'm kind of interested in." And every now and again, she'll just pick those like on our day together. We watched, and we were both like, "Hey, this this movie's like really quite good. Like, why is anyone talking about this movie?" Yeah, it checked all the right boxes for me, and it's one of like four movies I saw like in a year and a half span that I described them the same way, which was. This feels like a Black Mirror episode that was blown up into a feature movie. We were watching Black Mirror at the time. Absolutely. That's that's funny. That yeah. That. And I can't remember the other four where I described exactly the same. Like, that's what this is. <laughs> anyway, and it was just fucking amazing. I fucking love that movie. Bought it on 4K. I'm glad I did. But uh, it's fucking... And so then it made me want to explore alexander payne's other movies and if you listened to the best picture podcast when we did uh the john clooney john clooney, george clooney movie uh up in the air or whatever it's called oh he directed that oh yeah i love that no, no 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 no. the whole time like when it was picked and sean's like we're doing this next week and we're like who, who directed this? uh i think it's alexander yeah i think it's alexander payne pretty sure yeah 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 and then we both watched it and then and then we're talking about it, and we're like, like his other movies, you know, da 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 da. And then I think, like, during the conversation, I'm like, wait a second, this is not even Alexander Payne. <laughs> That's funny, you know. I think I remember getting annoyed at you guys for doing that. Now that I think about it's completely it, completely <laughs> unintentional, completely unintentional. But that being said, it is exactly an Alexander Payne movie in every way. Uh, oh yeah, Up in the Air is fantastic. Love, love that that but, flick. I think I watched Downsizing, and I was like, I gotta watch another one of his movies. And I watched um, The Descendants with George Clooney. Um, and it was okay. It was it was a fine movie, and I could tell it was the same maker, and it was good. It, it didn't blow me away or anything. But I was like, yeah, I, I, can, I can dig. I can pick up what this guy's putting down. And then I saw Nebraska, and that was like the dark horse in his filmography. Um, a bunch of people say it's fucking terrible but then there's like a small group who's like no 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 this is an amazing movie so yeah i've always been a, a big fan of brewster and ever since silent running at least at least since i saw it i mean i obviously wasn't around back in like i think it was 74 but 
I love that film. I love that movie. I saw it here and there when I was a kid. Um, and I always thought there was a weird connection between, like, as a kid, when I didn't understand exactly everything I was watching. I always thought there was a weird connection between Star Wars in general, but Star Trek The Motion Picture, Silent Running, um, um, Black Hole. Black Hole. <laughs> Black Hole. And then uh, it's Alien sometimes. But it's much more realistic and gritty compared to the others. But um, yeah, they always felt like weirdly connected to me, even though I knew they weren't sequels yeah. or anything, <laughs> and I knew Black Hole was Disney. But there was the aesthetic; they had this aesthetic that connected them. It's so weird how similar we all all these years apart in terms of our childhoods. But yeah, absolutely, those all felt in a similar vein. And I would throw in, um, maybe you wouldn't, but I would throw in Logan's Run. I feel like it's in a similar vein in a way. Yeah, but it's the distant. It's the even though it only came out like a year apart or two, it is the distant cousin. Like because Logan's Run, and I love that movie in its own right. Logan's Run looks like it was produced in 1970. Um, and if I pretend it was produced in 1970, it makes it all better. Um, and then I would go. Cause I was about to say right now, well, yeah, Logan's Run is like the spiritual relative, like from 1970, but the fact that it was produced in 76 fucks it all up. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It, it could just be the robots, so maybe that's what makes it all feel familiar. Yeah, it's like it's like if you saw Forbidden Planet, and you're like, wow, this is amazing! And then someone said, oh yeah, but it, it came out in 1980, and you go, wait, what? <laughs> it's fucking weird! <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And that's how I feel about Logan's Run. It's like, oh yeah, that was a great movie in 69. No, it came out in 76. Oh, what the fuck? Why does it look like that? <laughs> well, except for the disco stuff, which makes sense. Yeah, which Forbidden Planet, I also loved as a kid. I thought that was on the Star Wars level. So there, there's so many movies that I just thought were brilliant. I, I still really like Forbidden Planet. Mm, Forbidden Planet was too built up for me when I saw it the first time. And I probably saw it, I don't know, like a 92 or something like that. And it was even built up for me then. I was like, oh, oh wow. this amazing classic, Forbidden Planet. And I watched it and I was like, oh, I was like, that was like a weaker episode of classic Star Trek is like what my initial hot take was. Yeah, see, that was the difference to me growing up in the era of like satellite TV, where I just see all these movies not having any clue or any knowledge of what they were beforehand and just being blown away by them. I was very lucky in that way, but... <laughs> Before we conclude, I'd be remiss to, if I didn't also mention that in the Criterion Special Features for Slacker, not only is there It's Impossible to Plow, but there's actually one of his short films uh, that preceded Plow uh, called uh, Woodshock. And it's not really a film, it's more of a like a micro-doc, um, if you will. It's only like seven or eight minutes. And he, there used to be, I didn't even know this, there used to be a little very indie local uh, music festival in Austin called Woodshock, which of course was like a takeoff Woodstock, uh, where they just had these local like hard rock, punk, whatever type bands. Uh, and it's just him, you know, bringing his cameras and just shooting random people, you know, uh, in, in and around the festival. You don't actually get to see the musical acts or anything. You just see the the people hanging out the attendees and it it definitely if you've seen like woodstock the movie um and if you've seen that movie and you've seen the parts where they just 
like follow the attendees. Um, it is, I think he shot an 85. So this is absolutely, it captures that generation of youth circa 1985, just the same way that Woodstock captures that generation. And I could appreciate it for that because the first serious musical concert I went to was also outdoor in Austin in 94, which is not 85, but I felt a connection to it nonetheless. And, and it's just a short little, you know, micro doc, but it's, I guess you could say better done, more well done, more polished than plow in a, in a weird sense. Maybe it's because it has better picture quality. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, shorter runtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing about Plow, and not that we're gonna reopen that can, but if I have a criticism of that, it feels like thirteen of his shorts mashed together. Um, yes, it it does not feel like there was enough there for a feature. Like, I get that he wanted to make one, but it just there was not. There's like at least twenty five minutes of just footage of trains or buses traveling it's like that's the stuff you cut <laughs> but i do appreciate in that movie just all the times he just set up his camera on a tripod and just left it there in public yeah and then did what he did in front of camera there's some cool moments certainly and there's some good framing it's just yeah watching the whole runtime is very unengaging like if there was something like an iphone when i was a kid or an up-and-comer I would like to think. Well, see, this is the paradox: is there'd have to be something like the iPhone, but at the same time, there'd have to be nothing like the internet existing. And then, because because pre-internet, I used to dick around with camcorders and portable cassette recorders as much as any kid possibly could in the pre-internet days. Um, I used to record my own fake. I used to say that these were my origins as a podcaster. I used to record my own little fake radio shows that nobody would ever hear except for me on audio cassette. Mm. Um, and so if something like an iPhone is like a very easy portable uh, video camera like that, I'd like to think in a pre-internet age, I would have taken the time and made my own feature length movie. Not that it would be good, but that I would concentrate and focus enough and put all my all into it. Even if it was just for me to watch I'd like to think I would do the same thing as Linklater did with um, Impossible to Plow. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, when I watched those Cronenberg student films, Stereo in particular, I was like, a part of me wishes that this never made it to modern day. Like, I wish that this was just a project that he made and then it was never released on Blu-ray for people to consume, you know, I, I think it was made in 69 like, it has no relevance to his career in terms of, like, his quality as a filmmaker. It's just, like, this weird little addendum that you can watch and be like, oh, yeah, this is not good, but, like, this is something that he made. Like, it's, it's, I just, there's something strange about releasing student projects to on Blu-ray for consumers when it's like, this isn't really a, a real movie. You know, it's like a home video that you're just getting to watch in pristine quality that doesn't really deserve it that that sounds mean but <laughs> just like uh that's that's how i felt about watching that plow movie it's like uh, I, I don't know if i should have ever well had access to this <laughs> you know you took a dump on all this stuff kudos for you though to sit through it because 
<clears throat> I, I probably wouldn't have today or yesterday if you hadn't unintentionally challenged me to. But I felt like, well, if he's going to watch it, then I got to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got completionist complex. I mean, those Cronenberg movies I wasn't even watching for podcasts, and I sat there and watched all the way through, so... This is this is the kind of stuff I do to myself just on a regular basis. I yeah, see. I don't I don't do that unless it's someone I hold in the regard of like Nolan or Kubrick, and then of course I will. But unless they're on that level for me, like someone told me years ago, like in the early two thousands, like, oh, you like Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson, you gotta watch. What is it called? Like Meet the Weevils or something? Oh yeah, I've never seen that one. <laughs> I've seen Bad Taste and uh, um, Dead Alive. I'm probably screwing up the title, but it's basically like a weird, grotesque, four adults like puppet show production. Yeah. And my my friend was like, "Oh, I have a copy on DVD. Oh, you gotta you gotta check this out. Like, if you like Peter Jackson and you're looking <laughs> at his other movies, you gotta see this. This is brilliant." And I just put it on. And I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" Like what the <laughs> fuck is this shit? Like, I'm I apparently not that much. I mean, I do. I am a Peter Jackson fan, but I'm not like a hardcore Peter Jackson fan. So I watched it like 10, 12 minutes, and I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I I can't do that. I just have to. I just have to finish. I'm terrible with that shit. But yeah, apparently he's putting out a Blu-ray release of Meet the Feebles, so I'm really looking forward to that because it's not. It's not been in print for ages, so... I'm sorry that we're diver- we're diverging again. I'm sure this get kind of the actual episode, but... Um, oh, yeah. Something I did sit through that I don't even know why, but it was weirdly compelling. Uh, something... It's like... It's like Repo Men, the, the g- genetic opera or something. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, Repo the genetic opera. Yeah, great film. Darren Lynn Bozeman. Yeah, I, I really like that film. I don't know how <laughs> I came across it. I think it maybe it was on Netflix for a short span streaming or something and even though i've never been a paris hilton fan i always thought she was hot yeah, even though go. i wasn't a fan <laughs> um and i watched that whole movie and i didn't know why i was completing viewing of the movie i do like musicals but this is a bit different um but no i i i weirdly felt compelled to finish it even though i wasn't loving it and I even probably watched it a second or third time. Had that girl from Spy Kids in it. She was playing the lead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then a couple years later, like, they're going to show it at the draft house. And, and I was, my friend and I was like, oh, I'm going to go see it at the draft house. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> like, but I can't imagine watching it with other quote-unquote fans in the theater. That, that was, you know, like for like a Rocky Horror type situation. Let me tell you about how much of a weirdo I am. Okay, here we go. Back in like the uh, the early 2000s, I viewed Lionsgate films as like in A24. Where I would just see any project they made where I was like, oh, they're making these super cool kind of edgy horror films. And I, I look back on all the films I watched and I was like, Lionsgate, like this is like the cheapest crap. What did I see? In Not to movie? that degree. Oh, let me tell you what was cool in my day. <laughs> so... In my day, coming up, if a movie was an Orion picture or a TriStar, it was like, hey, this, this this could possibly be good. Like, if you just saw that, you know, the, what do you call it? Like, the studio banner. It was like, 
Yeah. Odds are this is going to be a good movie. That was like a good sign. But the more significant thing to people my age, growing up especially with home video, uh, there was um, Vestron Video. Oh, yes. And like that is just something you is ingrained in your mind if you rented videos back in the day. It was okay. so many Vestron videos. And then the other one that was kind of cooler than Vestron, but was also like, oh, um, uh, Kuroko Pictures. Oh, Kuroko. I don't know. They that did, um, I want to say they did like, uh, they did like, um, and I'm not even sure if it's exactly Kuroko or Calroco or whatever it is. I want to say they did um, the original uh, Total Recall. Total Recall. Oh, okay. Huh. And I want to say that, and there was all these other movies that felt like Total Recall that started off with that same opening studio banner. It, it's very, I mean, once you see it, you'll know it. I mean, well, I mean, even if you're seeing it for the mm. first time, it's very recognizable. Um, but they did movies like Robocop, Running Man. Like I'm not I'm not saying those are all Kuroko pictures, but Kuroko pictures always had that same vibe, um, gritty '90s, like kind of serious, medium budget sci-fi or graphic action type movies. Um, I won't even say they they did like Rambo three or something. Um, Interesting. And those movies were like, oh, this is gonna be somehow like intense and like uh, not gritty, um, like edgy edgy this is gonna be edgy um yeah that was a good sign when that would <laughs> the video would start off with that you knew you were in for something but yeah yeah I, I still get that with orion sometimes it's kind of cool they brought orion back now yeah 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 i saw that at some point and tristar as well they brought back oh really i didn't see that I, i'm hmm. almost certain i saw something like in the last three years that was new and they brought back like the pegasus bird oh that's kind of cool i always love that too it's super cool Always makes you think of uh, Clash of the Titans. There was a so. time, I think it was like probably I, I saw like Jurassic Park, and I was like, I just went like on a Universal kick where I gotta watch Universal movies. Like, <laughs> they're the ones right now. Fast forward to um, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, which is brilliant, by the way. Scott Pilgrim. Oh, man. So fucking good. I feel like that's another movie that people just forgot about but in my movie watching life going to the theater in the cinema 2009 was a breakout year in, <laughs> in my movie movie watching life uh, scott pilgrim i believe was that year inception uh district nine oh. avatar actually i think those two are 2010 moon i think these are almost yep. all 2009 movies i'm naming pretty certain yeah inception and and pilgrim were 2010 but i think they were early i think they were like maybe like may or march i remember also i still think it's 2009 but (laughs) pilgrim and inception were two of the first movies that i remember at the theater going this is fucking digital holy shit like they've got digital cameras or projectors here because that was mm. the shift where we it was the end of the analog film days and the ushering in of the digital which at the time i thought was the greatest thing i kind of regret it now uh <laughs> i kind of wish we had both still but but at the time you know it was like it was as if they had just upgraded the dvd 
or Blu-ray. Yeah, that's that's funny. I remember that switch happening in 2008 here in BC, but and me being like, oh, like the movies, they look weirder now. Like something's different and not quite. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I was like, everything's so perfect, so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything looks too crisp. And I remember one of the last analog movies that I saw that was modern, uh, but it, it seemed weird because the film was kind of jacked. Was um, I saw Star Trek 2006 at least six times at the theater in different formats. Um, six. It was 2006, wasn't it? Or was it 2009 as well? Yeah, 2009 for the J.J. Abrams. Oh, sorry. 2000, yeah, 2009 again. Bad year. Um, <laughs> so I saw uh, Star Trek 2009. It was like my fourth time seeing it at the theater. And I watched it at IMAX, but it was on analog. And there was so much like stereotypical analog film issues with the projection mm. like things oh, things were like bad. fluttering or shaking or blurring or there was like all kinds of uh imax sized specks of dirt and hair filament oh no that's too bad oh. no but i just remember like that that was one of my last obviously analog old school days like experiences when the the, the baton was being handed off to the digital stuff. I'm telling you, 2000, that was a banner effing year of movies. Yeah, I did check in Scott Pilgrim of Inception or both 2010 summer How months. How dare you? I'm, I'm sure that's a Canadian website you're looking at and with <laughs> Canadian dates. You guys probably got it a year later than the rest of us. I remember seeing them both and being like, the because the, I, I felt the same way you did in 2009 where I was like, hey, sci-fi, it's finally starting to come back into the mainstream in like a genuine way yep, 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 yep. where it's not just crap like as much as i like um the chronicles of riddick i remember that movie being like oh it's sci-fi like it it's not legitimate like i enjoy this movie but this is some schlocky shit but 2009 feeling like oh everything's coming back around and now we're getting some real like great sci-fi movies and inception 2010 the next year was like holy crap we're taking this to the next level and Scott Pilgrim was kind of like, oh, we can still do this in, like, a fun kind of way. And, yeah, then after 2010, 2011, I feel like it was a shitty year. Like, we had um, Cowboys vs. Aliens. Oh, yeah. That was a major letdown. Like, uh, what else came out that year? I feel like there was a couple other, like, shitty kind of sci-fi movies that I saw. I don't remember what. But, yeah, I just feel like we never really caught that kind of wave again. Mm, I have to go back and look because... There was some time more recently when I started. I think it's. I think it's with Blade Runner. Oh yeah. I was starting to feel like, oh, we're coming back, we're coming back, and of course he had done. Uh, uh, what is it called? The one he did before that. Oh. Arrival. Arrival. And so yeah, I started to have this vibe like, oh, it's coming back again, coming back around with the serious sci-fi. Yeah, I, I I mentioned him earlier, Denis Villeneuve, Canadian director. I've always been like a big close to my heart because he's a canadian director so <laughs> it's kind of a stupid thing but i feel the same way with cronenberg but <laughs> i've always been a giant fan of his oh, i didn't know he was canadian yeah hmm. so but yeah no i'm i'm hoping I'm, he's doing dune next so i'm hoping that'll be great too unfortunately i don't think well, you've already heard me say i need that sequel to it it, it can't just be the one that's fair kill myself but i feel like blade runner it didn't actually do very well, which is kind of a unfortunate repeat. Mm, it's but... weird because sometimes you read that it 
it's quite well received, but it didn't really break into the mainstream masses. Exactly. But mm -hmm. it's not considered a failure or a flop. No, I, I feel like it just broke even. It was kind of like it was kind of middling at the box office, but it did okay enough. But but, but there's movies like that though that piss me off more. Um, uh, examples would be the third Star Trek Abrams. Well, not Abrams, but I mean of the Abrams verse. Uh, the third Star Trek film, and also uh, Tron Legacy. Um, oh, those are two yeah. movies that I thought were fantastic and did good enough. Oh, and I will add Superman Returns to my list. Oh, no. Of, of <laughs> These are three movies that underperformed, but still performed. All three of them, they all performed significantly at the theater. They just were under projections. Uh, and then were never followed up. And I'm bitter about all three of those. Yeah, I'm better except for Superman Returns. Man. Uh, that That's the movie where I said, uh, Brian no. Singer, you're a hack. Uh, <laughs> uh, and by the way, in for the last ten years, five years, whatever, uh, of all the Superman live-action movies that have Superman in the title, or Man of Steel, uh, <laughs> or I'll even count uh, BVS, of all the live-action Superman movies, Returns is the one I will revisit more most frequently. Uh, oh man! I'm not saying it's the best of all the live actions, but it's the one I will revisit the most and just pop it on and watch 25 minutes of it. Well, you you said in the last 10 years, right, or or mm -hmm. whatever, 15 mm -hmm. years. Oh no, I said five to 10 years. In the last five to yeah. ten years, Superman Returns is the the live action Superman movie I'm most likely to put on. Sadly, I think I think we're beyond it in that point. I think it'd have to be fifteen because two thousand six. Because I think Man of Steel is ostensibly a better movie in every facet, almost, almost. But I would rather revisit Superman Returns twice a year than revisit Man of Steel twice a year. I agree, sadly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. There you go. And I, I was the most bitter as you could possibly be when I saw Returns. I was so angry that I turned on Brian Singer. I To the point that when he made uh, I loved Days it. of Future Past. I wow. loved it. <laughs> I thoroughly loved and enjoyed seeing Superman Returns the first time at the movies. I remember being like, Superman 4 was better than this crap. Which I don't agree with anymore. Oh, I heard you say it before, and you're high. Um, <laughs> no, it's because at the time, and I think that was 2006, when, yeah. when it came out, um, the way it paid homage or reference to the original live actions with the music, and Brandon Routh kind of looks like, you know, a, a reincarnation of, uh, what's his name? Um, because of all... It, it, I was the right age in 2006 that it hit all the right nostalgia points at the time. Looking mm. back, okay, now I can look, reflect on it, and well, it's a little bit hokey the way it, 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 it tries so hard to connect itself to the original movies. But at the time, it just it hit the sweet spot. Um, I listened to that soundtrack so much that year. 
Yeah, it was a good soundtrack. I will admit that. The damn logo for the movie poster was like all over my wallpapers, like my cell phone background, oh. like my PSP <laughs> background. I was still loving Smallville, the series, at the same time. Me too. <laughs> I'm rewatching it right now, also. <laughs> I was having a, a, a new Superman high at the time. Yeah, for me, I was kind of like, this is like an imposter, like it's pretending it's Christopher Reeves, it should just be its own thing. I was so bitter. <laughs> I've never been able to get past it every time I go back to it, but... <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you got issues. Multiple. Multiple issues in your personal life and in some of your movie-watching <laughs> life. Um, see, I'm rip shit at the, at the live-action movies. I've probably told you this. After I watched... Uh, the good animated movies of the last 10 years, the Batman ones in particular, those were fucking amazing, the good ones. And I was just like, it's right there. There it is. <laughs> There's your amazing Batman movie, um, post-Nolan. Do that, could you? Could you? Could you, DC? And not do the stupid Suicide Squad shit and I don't know what the fuck, BBS, and all this other madness. Yeah, see, that's what Isaac's been saying all these years, and I never watched the animated stuff. And so he was always like, you gotta watch this. This is where all the great stuff's happening. Like, you're watching all these crap movies. Because I was complaining to him all these years, and he never watched them, because he's like, oh, that stuff's just, it looks terrible. The good DC animated movies of the last ten years are really fucking good. Really fucking good. Or, because they're all... 85 90 minutes which some of them that's the right size but some of them you're like oh no this needs to be three hours long it's so fucking good mm. um and it gets cut too short and there's some really really good ones and and see dc in the last 15 20 years they feel like they're aside from nolan they feel like they're just in constant reboot mode constant constant superman returns man of steel Aquaman, Justice League, oh, now we don't even know if it's now the end of the Snyderverse and they're going to start all different shit now. Um, yeah, they got a new Superman, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, new Batman, blah, blah, blah. And they're constantly restarting, 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 restarting. Green Lantern, now they're already doing the second yeah. like iteration. But fuck, what the fuck? If you keep rebooting, <laughs> you never get to this amazing shit that they've already written in the comic books and put in the animated movies. Like, you'll never get to the good shit because you gotta get, like, I'm no Batman expert or DC expert, but there's so much interesting shit with the Teen Titans from the source material. There's so much interesting shit with Batman from the source material. What the fuck? But if they constantly reboot, you're never gonna fucking get to it. Yeah, it, it makes me think of uh, Universal with their constant reboots, too the same thing where there's like no confidence in the brand they just keep having to be like oh like we have this idea fuck it didn't work let's just erase it and do something else like uh let's have some sort of ground to stand on but uh, but i'm looking forward to the new batman movie maybe it'll be good i like robert pattinson he's great in the lighthouse so <laughs> he's great in tenet too he's my favorite part of that movie so Yeah, I know David Fincher right now is kind of going around telling everybody, like, hey, come to Netflix. They let you do whatever the fuck you want. They give you big budgets. Well, if you're David Fincher and most of your shit is usually pretty good yeah. and pretty tight, I'm not saying it all is. But I really, I didn't finish it yet, but I fucking love Mindhunter. 
No, I never saw that show. Yeah, I've got a minor bias against Fincher. Very, very minor, but I just, uh... Like, Social Network. I don't give a fuck about Facebook and its <laughs> origins. That was a fucking great movie. Yeah, I missed that one. I should watch that. Oh, he never... Yeah, he's a great director. I don't know why I have a bias fuck. against him. The only, the only place where he misstepped, even though he didn't really, but, but he did, but he didn't was girl the dragon tattoo that's one of the reasons i have my bias yeah and i thought oh this is a this is a perfect match made in heaven and and even though he didn't do anything wrong he didn't do enough right at the same time which i can't explain and it it came like one or maybe two years after the swedish film which was great and it was like what the fuck is this kind of like imposter movie and then benjamin button it was eh, gone girl eh. i'm i'm still Reevaluating Benjamin Button, I was hyped for it when it was coming out. Me too. And then I saw it, and I was like, ah. and then I never revisited it. But it was like on TV or something, or I mean, not well, something. And I caught like twelve minutes of it or fifteen minutes of it, and I was like, you know what? I think I might need to revisit this movie. It's okay. Um, and it's also, it might be the first Criterion that came out on Blu-ray. I'm not sure about that. Um, when they finally adopted the format, but what it is from Criterion that makes it one of a kind. I think it's the only Criterion Blu-ray release that um, it actually came in the regular blue jewel case with the insert. And there's, like, no other Criterion release that came in, like, the blue. Yeah, I don't even keep it in my Criterion section because it doesn't match. I just keep it in my regular Blu-rays. So I was going to buy it Criterion just because of that uniqueness factor. <laughs> yeah, but Zodiac was a great film. I love that. Panic Room. Eh. I don't know. He, he's got some great films in there. Admittedly, Fight Club, I don't feel like it's as groundbreaking as it once was. I feel like that movie... It's a little antiquated these days. It, uh, that movie was. Uh, <laughs> no. What was the last time you watched it? <laughs> I didn't watch it all the way through, but I watched some of it like a year or two ago. Interesting. Um, yeah. I think I think it came out on 4K. I think that's why I, I bought it. Yeah, I think it did too. Uh and it wasn't as satisfying for 4K as I you know, as I wanted it to be. That's how Apollo 13 is as well. Like it's not as satisfying in 4K as. Oh, that's a movie that didn't age well. Um, I mean, Ooh. it's fine. Yeah, it, it's okay. Six out of ten. <laughs> no, no, no. What I mean is, it's not okay. It's not a bad. No, but what I'm saying is visually, it was considered, you know, the peak of, you know, as good a movie could look in that year that it came out. Oh, interesting. Um, and I didn't watch it for 17 years until I bought it on 4K. Because because Apollo 13, uh, I don't know if they even had this in Canada, but in the 80s and the 90s, it was common for there to be like demos from different audiovisual manufacturers Um to do demos of like their new speaker system or their new television or whatever. And there were certain movies and things that they would always demo, use for demos. And Top Gun was one of them. And they would always play one of the dogfighting scenes to show off their new tech. 
and um, Apollo 13, um, the rocket launch. That was something that was frequently used like for audio tech demos at the time. Uh, like they would have the laser disc, um, like of Top Gun or Apollo 13, like check this out, you know, fire shit up. Um, and so that's why I was looking forward to getting it in 4K because that was that was that was a demo, you know, in the mid uh, late 90s. And then when I watched it in 4K, it does not age well in 4K. Uh, you see all the limitations uh, of the CG. And, uh, like, you know, one of the worst limitations is, um, I don't know, you know, so there's the iconic rocket launch scene, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's this fully realized three-dimensional CGI rocket that's taking off from the launch pad. When I watched it two years ago, my recollection is, like, okay, you got the, the rocket CGI model taking off, which looks great enough for the time. But the whole Cape Canaveral surrounding landscape is so laughably two-dimensional oh no like it's almost like when you see those google earth images from the top and you go oh yeah and then like you angle down to ground level and, and all of a sudden all the trees are flat that's how apollo 13 looks to modernize oh fuck that's too bad was that ron howard it's... was he did he make that yeah 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 oh. yeah yeah but it's so weird because you don't remember it looking like that when you saw it in the 90s and then you watch it now and you're like yeah why is the landscape flat (laughs) like it just looks like a flat digital matte painting i think i've got some sort of bias against the 90s aesthetic and that's why i feel like fight club has aged poorly um has that same kind of like smarmy i'm so much smarter than everyone else kind of vibe to it where i'm like yeah you you feel a little little antiquated you see (laughs) Just like we were talking about with those, uh, link, uh, the 90s, whatever, mumblecore shit. Um, and you know, what you're saying is kind of true about Fight Club, but you have to understand that there was all these wannabe smart Fight Clubby movies that just did it so much worse mm-hmm. that Fight Club is, is the standard in a good way. Oh, yeah, what you're talking about. And I've seen a lot of those movies too, and they're awful. <laughs> I don't go back to that stuff no i think fight club is only slightly aged now but when i put it in again in the context of its time i'm like oh no this shit was fucking hitting like this 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 was like the future of movies uh at the time even though i didn't even see it when it came out i didn't see it till like 2001 well that wasn't too much later but still i i it was already a movie that had been out for a long time until i watched it the first time yeah, I don't know when I, I... I know I saw it on HBO, but I don't know how old I would have been, but probably too young for it, <laughs> as I saw most movies too young for them. But No, but you said 90s aesthetic. See, that's the thing. It depends, because there's all these... Because there was bad 90s aesthetic, which an example of that would be um, um, uh, Judge Dredd or like... Um, oh, yeah, early 90s, you're thinking. I was thinking late 90s for Fight Club, but... Well, I, that's middle '90s, or um, what's another bad one from the '90s? Um, Shaft, Shaft remake. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. Um, uh, things that are badly dated for the '90s. 
if you go early 90s you could you, you can oh dick tracy i was gonna say well I, well no yeah, uh, no no we'll see it's confusing because it looks amazing and, and it looks bad at the same time yeah that's like a comic book type of movie it's it's, it's in a film world it is but i'm just but it, but it still has this 90s aesthetic as does um Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie or like Street Fighter. And I get it, those are all video games. Or <laughs> Mario Brothers. Yeah, these these are in their own world. No, no, yeah, I get it. But they have the bad nineties aesthetic. I'll tell you what is good nineties aesthetic. Hackers. There there's one that's just <laughs> I have to watch it again. I only saw it like once and don't remember it much. Um I was gonna say something like Um Total Recall. Because um, like like, it's so 90s looking, but it still looks so right at the same time. Yeah, those right on the, the cusp. True. Probably filmed in 89, you know. Because Robocop's one of those movies that is like late 80s, low budget, but just looks so much better than it has any right looking. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, there's other 80s movies like that. Um, What's another... Good I keep 90s. thinking Demolition Man, but I'm like, that's that's another one that's not. It's in the future. To me, Demolition Man is on the. Uh, it's hanging on the balance of looking terrible '90s and good '90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you one that does. I'll tell you what does not age well for me that looks like it's from the '90s. Um, Blade. <laughs> I don't. I don't like the way that shit looks. That's fair. That's in the Matrix vein though too. I don't like the way Matrix looks either. It feels kind of silly in some ways. Again, Matrix like Bike Club, it's the epitome in a good way of that representation that you're talking about. I agree, but it's still silly. I mean... Mm, it's kind of silly when you watch it now. Some of the wardrobe choices and things. Yeah, that, that's what I mean, like in retrospect. I know, but no, but... It, oh. I, I remember being a kid and thinking it was so cool, but... Because I remember, like, well... this. Not necessarily it has to do with the Matrix, but the Spawn movie came out, Oof. and when it came out, brand new, people were like, "This is the future oh. of like, this is the future of like action blockbuster, superhero or you know genre film, like heavy effects." Oh my god! Laden, like people were like, "Spawn is is like the second coming of the next generation." of like these times i'm serious and people were so fucking impressed by spawn wow visually and then matrix came out and everyone was like spawn what like never heard of it never fucking heard of it because matrix was so much a leap like beyond that even though aspects of it look aged now it was it was such a quantum leap just like star wars was a quantum leap to logan's run mm visually even though they're only like a year apart that's how matrix was when it came out it was star wars like it was it was only a year removed from these other science fiction action movies but it's like they jumped 10 years into the future like overnight and nobody can ever take that away from the matrix because that's like again that's like talking about new hope like it looks shitty and low budget and aged and you'd just be like, what? You don't understand. I think my big problem with the 90s, one one is the self-awareness that makes things kind of obnoxious. But there was also this sense that drenched so many things in the 90s of, we're so cool. 
Like, you don't really find that in the 80s. I mean, but in the 90s, there was so much, like, we're so cool. What's another What's another movie that was like, this is so cool? Like, what's another one of those movies from the 90s that fits? Oh, I mean, Hackers. It's all over Hackers. Like, we're so cool. We're at the okay, cutting but edge. Hackers is, like, <laughs> Hackers is like watching, like... <laughs> a roller derby movie that would have been super popular in the 70s but then it was never popular ever again or in the <laughs> 80s 80s had a bunch of stuff like that um the 80s okay so the 80s had something like karate kid which transcends its decade it's not self-aware though but it had other things like goonies which is sadly trapped in the 80s Yes. Even though even though it was so fucking amazing at the time. Um it's so trapped in its time and it, and it was it was still hard to think it was cool like already by the 90s Goonies. Um also things that were like kitschy for their time like Hackers was um that would be uh in the 80s um this movie called Rad. Oh, the is it like the motocross movie? Is that what that is? Rad. Except I think it's on BMX. BMX, that's right. <laughs> okay, Rad was one of those movies. Um, um, Beat yeah. Street. Oh, I don't know that one. Breaking, Breaking oh. Two, Electric Boogaloo. Um, all those movies are planted in the eighties. Oh, Police Academy. <laughs> I guess that's fair. That's fair. They they're so planted in their decade, and they just cannot get out of there. See, maybe the difference is I'm removed enough from the 80s that I didn't know people. And, who, like, and even Friday the 13th is stuck in the 80s. Even though there's Friday the 13th movies from other decades, it's still stuck in the 80s, like, in your mind. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think they were super self-aware in how cool they thought they were. I mean, Scream, that's all over Scream, too, as much as I enjoy that movie. There's this really pervasive element of we're totally breaking new ground, man. We're doing things no one's ever done. Okay, but see, oh, see, it was, it was, it was at the time. It was. And you keep naming some significant things because like Fight Club and Matrix and Scream, they kicked off, like Tarantino kicked off, like all these imitators. Like, oh my God, the shit that came after Scream. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Believe me. I've seen them all with the horror movies. But Scream was, like, written or something by Kevin Williamson? Yep, that was him. Oh. And and when he came out with Scream, and and he was the hottest shit. I understand. Oh, was, I, Dawson's Creek. He was fucking everywhere. I know, but I'm saying he was, like, the J.J. Abrams of the moment. Oh, and he's just as much of a hack. <laughs> no, he's better than J.J. Abrams. <laughs> no, he's not. Abrams is better. Oh, they're on a similar level. Abrams also has that were so cool. Despite his missteps and whatnot, I think Abrams is overall better than he's bad. Um, and I'm not saying Kevin Williamson is bad either, but that shit, like Scream and Dawson's Creek, and I know what you did last summer, and he oh. did some other things that are lesser known from that time period. Did he work on Urban Legends? I don't remember if he worked on that. I one. was wholly on board with that shit because. Because Scream and Dawson's Creek, for their respective genres at the time, they felt like this is the Tarantino equivalent of like a slasher movie, mm -hmm. and this is the Tarantino equivalent of like a high school TV drama, and that is 
100% how they felt in the moment. And they constantly wink at the audience and tell them, we're smarter than everybody. We know all this, we know all these references, and it just, I think in the age of the internet, you look back at that stuff and look like, oh, these guys thought they were so cool. And now everyone knows this. Buffy was the same. Buffy was the same. Yeah. But those things were fine in their time. I'm telling you. No, I, I don't I don't disagree. I mean, I still think Scream's great. I still think The Matrix is great. I just think they've aged poorly because of how up their own ass they are. I don't feel that as much with Matrix. Well, that's fair. Now, people love to talk shit about Part 2 and Part 3. Yeah, that's its own conundrum. I don't think they're nearly as bad as everyone says. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't. I, they're not as good as the original, but I'm not going to fault them for that either. Even the third one? Oh man. I like that we got to see more of the quote-unquote real world. I liked it too. I just didn't like how much we saw. Like it went... It took over the whole movie. I was o- no, no, I was okay with that. The reason, the only thing that bumped me on three, uh, well, first of all, Aaliyah was supposed to be in the movie, uh, but she got cut out because she died. Um, that was a major bummer because um, I was the biggest Aaliyah fan in the whole world back then. Um, no, but the other thing that bothered me or bumped me on the third Matrix. This has happened to me with other, mostly series, where, like Lost or BSG, where I start coming up with all these amazing ways they can end it, like end this series or end this trilogy, and, you know, like, I don't know, like, we're going to figure out this was a dream, or this is a program, or there's a next level to the Matrix world that we don't know about, there's a third level of comprehension, I had all these wacky ideas of what could be revealed or explained in the third and final movie. And, like, none of that happened. And I was just like, oh. So it's just this. Mm. However, I will admit, when there's the reveal about how there's always been a Neo and an anomaly that comes up. And and that this is, like, the sixth time that's happened. I still think about that. Because there's something extremely interesting about that concept. There is. I I will admit that. There is something fascinating about it. Just never come... It, it's like Prometheus. There's so many fascinating elements to that movie that just never come out to anything at all. That's interesting. I mean, I was going to say, if you would have asked me three years ago or prior, like, what do I like better, Matrix 3 or Prometheus? I probably would have always said Matrix 3 oh, wow. until recently. More recently, I think I might start choosing Prometheus if I was just choosing my favorite between those two. But anyway, um, so I guess you're super excited for Matrix 4? I'm going to see it. I'll be there 100%. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm very much going in arms crossed and eyes pointed sideways at it like oh boy did you ever watch the wachowskis um series on netflix uh i saw the pilot for sense eight sense eight no uh it got better in the series i didn't watch i I didn't watch all of it but i watched past the pilot it was it was pretty good but it was exuded wachowski in not not all the good ways but i was fascinated by it because uh, a really good friend of mine 
fucking loved it. Hmm. Like, wholeheartedly. And this is a, a sidebar that means nothing to you, but I've known this guy a long time. He's a really great friend of mine. And one of the things I've always wondered about him, but I've never, even, even though we've had deep conversations, I've never, ever, I would never bring up the question, speak it out loud. But I've always wondered, um, and it sounds so simple and silly to even bring it up. But I've known the guy for well over a decade, very well. And I always want to just be like, are you gay or somewhere else on the LGBTQ spectrum? And this is one of those situations where there's so much smoke. There has to be a fire somewhere. There just has to be. But that being said, it's just... He's like the most... Not the most. I don't even know how to explain it. Like, everything about him, if you know him, says that he is somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum somewhere. But yet it's still unclear at the same time. And I think that's a unique place to inhabit as a person to how other people perceive you for well over a decade. You'd think, especially now in this day and age, you'd, you'd know if someone is either gay or probably gay or you wouldn't even think it. But for it to remain a mystery, especially in this day and age, where that's not usually a mystery with anybody... I don't know. And so, oh, my point was, why did I bring this up? Because the fact that Sensate resonated with him so much, and so much of Sensate was, like, not feeling you are, like, like feeling like your consciousness is maybe not in the right body. Hmm. Obviously, it's a, it's a, what do you call it? It's a... Uh, metaphor. Metaphor. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's like a proxy for, for being trans or feeling trans or something. Hmm. It's obviously, very obviously, that's the intent, I guess, on the whole premise. And the fact that my friend, who I can't figure out exactly where he lies on the sexuality spectrum, the fact that he connects so much to Sensei, it makes me wonder, is it because you have some feelings of, like, your personality is in the wrong body? I don't know. I would love to ask that question of him, but I would never ask it in real life. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) That's interesting, though. Uh, we should probably close this down here. So uh, we should have closed down two hours ago. Yeah, <laughs> I kept looking for the uh, the end. But you don't stop, and so if you don't stop, I don't stop. <laughs> Every time I reach for an end, we jump off somewhere else. So you just gotta be like Sean and just go. Oh, okay, I'm <laughs> fucking drunk. Hey, even if you're just pretending, that's and you'd be like, oh, I'm falling asleep, and that's how you end. <laughs> uh, but yeah, catch you guys next time on some other show. Peace.